0: For the Persecutor.
1: Welcome again. My name is Todd Nettleton. We are connected online today, and uh, we're going to record this interview with David Bile. Those of you who have listened for a long time to Voice of the Martyrs, you will remember David Bile was with us back in 2017. Uh, He is a longtime gospel worker in Turkey. In fact, almost 20 years in Turkey subsequently kicked out of the country. And we'll talk a little bit about that. David, welcome back to Voice of the Martyrs Radio.
2: Thank you, Todd. It's great to be here.
1: When we talked in 2017, you had been essentially kicked out of Turkey. Uh, you had gone to court to say, hey, I don't deserve to be kicked out. Uh, I, I shouldn't have been kicked out. The court said, OK, we'll, we'll let you stay while the court case is going forward. Right but a lot of things have happened since then. So kind of (laughs) catch us up on on what happened after that, on your legal case, and just kind of where you're at in in ministry today.
2: A lot has indeed happened since then. And the big thing was, which you could sort of say, politically speaking, started a whole series of events was when Andrew Brunson was released from prison after being in prison for two years. And we can look back now, years later, and see that since that day, there's been dozens and dozens of foreign Christians that have been forced to leave Turkey. I was right at the beginning of that thing. I like just in fact, the day that uh, <laughs> Andrew Brunson was in the White House praying for the president, I was being arrested in Ankara, <laughs> and uh, I spent five hours getting questioned. I think they asked me about two hundred questions. They took me that night to the main police station in in Ankara, and they. Me in like the three or four floors below ground in this super, super safe prison. I remember thinking, you know, <laughs> they're like, why do they think I'm so dangerous? I'm not so dangerous. But I even though I was deep down in the earth and there's no one else around me, in these super thick walls around me, I was not alone. I I just felt, you know, God is here, Jesus is here in the cell with me. People are praying. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Uh, it was The only frustration I had that time was that they put me in a cell all by myself. So I was really hoping I could be able to share Jesus with the, my uh, cellmates, but there was no one in the cell with me <laughs> except Jesus.
1: Before Andrew Brunson, Americans didn't get put in prison in Turkey for two years. Yeah. So when now that is going on, did you have a little more nervousness or a little more like this might not just be me going to the police station and getting questioned? This might be me going to jail for...
2: Uh, you know, months uh, and even years. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't expect that. Even just politically speaking, it, it would not have been in Turkey's interest to do something like that, especially with the Andrew Brunson case getting the the visibility that it had internationally. Um, but I remember what happened. They, the next day, they they took me out, and you know, you have legal rules; you're not allowed to hold someone, you know, detained for more than 24 hours without a, a you know charging them or whatever. So. Right. 24 hours later, they took me out and they said, we would like you to leave uh, within two weeks. So we're giving you a two week visa. And I said, am I going to be able to get back in after that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They said, you know, don't worry. You know, you just have to pay the small fine and, you know, then go out and it's fine. But shortly after that, the U.S. embassy called me and they said, "Uh, now, usually we do not give legal advice. However, uh, given the tentative nature of our, just the awkward relationship we have with the Turkish government right now because of the Andrew Brunson case, we would really urge you to do what the Turkish government has asked and to leave within two weeks. Because you'll remember, I had that Supreme Court, the Constitutional Court had said that the government cannot deport me until they had made a decision. So that is a de facto residence permit. But I had the U.S. Embassy begging me to leave the Turkish church leader said, "Too, you know, now it's it, let's not make a big fuss. We don't want to make yet another big international kerfuffle. Just, just go out and and anyways, they had sort of promised me that I could get back in. Well, in fact, that's not what happened because once you leave, now you're in a totally different category. When you fly in, and they don't let you in, you can't open a court case because technically you're not even I, in the country. You're then. not there. Yeah, so <laughs> you might that's be standing there, but you're not there. Exactly. So I left the country." A month later, I flew back hoping that they would let me back in. But I landed in Istanbul, and the policeman stopped me at the border. They took me in. He looked at my file and says, you've got a, a permanent entry ban. I'd missed the return flight, so they couldn't get me back on the flight to Germany. And the next one on that airline wasn't until two days later, So, which was great. I had a great time talking with some people who need Jesus in the deportation center in the Istanbul airport.
1: The challenge of that, of course, is your your family's still there. Yeah. They're, they're not officially kicked out.
2: So we had thought through all of the sort of possible outworkings of this situation and what might happen and what would be our contingency plans. And what we had decided is that my wife, Ulrike, would stay in Turkey till the end of the school year. Two of our kids had already moved out of home and were living elsewhere, but we didn't want to take, especially for one of our kids, it was our senior year, or sorry, junior year. And- and so we didn't want to bring upheaval, so they stayed. But that ended up in practice being hard because we were separated them for eight months. Of course, they were able to fly out every once in a while and see me, but I was not able to come to them. And just for my wife, having to pack up everything we had, sell things, sell our, our apartment, uh, help our kids move out and do all that on her own with the, th- the three kids was uh, a Herculean effort and uh, god's grace enable us to to get through it so during those eight months i was here in germany because my wife's german and there's so many turks in germany uh, my wife and i well, my wife obviously can speak german i also can speak german and turkish it made it it was quite obvious as we thought and prayed about it that, that going to germany would be the right place and so i spent those eight months praying visiting different cities and decided that berlin would be the right place so By the time my wife and our three kids who are still at home moved, I had managed to find a flat here in Berlin, and this is where we're living now.
1: One of the things that's interesting, the the Turkish government says you are a threat to public order, which is kind of interesting because what you do is you have, for years, went out on the streets and shared the gospel with people. That got you this, this mark, this title of threat to public order. Why would they say that this... Christian guy from outside the country coming here and talking to people about Jesus. That's a threat to public
2: order. Well, they had been trying to do that for years before, or, or I could say at the beginning, they I think they just sort of uh, tolerated people like me because they thought, well, having a few Christians doing this Christian activity is something we can show to Europe and say, hey, look, we have religious freedom here too. But the the thing that really changed is that the uh, Islamic government managed to over the years, because they were in power for so many years, eventually to take over sort of the last bastion of secularism in government, which was the judicial system. So it was the the judges who were sort of the last ones to to, to cave in, and and so the activities I was doing in Turkey didn't really change throughout the twenty years we were there. We were always out preaching and stuff. What did change is that. The judges no longer had the courage to stand up against the government. And so what had not been a threat to national security and stuff all of a sudden became one when they were intimidated by the powers that be.
1: And at the time you left, you still had a case pending before the constitutional court, which is essentially their kind of Supreme
2: Court. Yeah. What what happened with that case or or is it still pending? No, it, it finished, and they lumped my case in with, apparently, there were several other foreigners who had similar situations from different countries, not necessarily even Christians, who had uh, gone through similar steps, and the constitutional court just threw them all together and said, no, the, basically, it was okay what the government did. So in that sense, I lost the case. Then we tried to open a court case at the European Court of Human Rights in Strasbourg, France contesting that, that constitutional court decision. And that we just learned recently, even just a few weeks ago, that they rejected our application because they said that our case in Turkey did not mention all of the religious freedom issues which were brought up in the case that we wrote uh, applying to the European Court of Human Rights. So basically they're saying, if you're gonna use that, those lines of reasoning, you have to do that from the very start in Turkey and see what the court, the local courts do. So it's a little bit of technical way of throwing it out. So the lawyers that we're speaking with here, they're they're wanting to do that whole thing and and, and you know work through up to the courts again and try again that way. And there's other cases, and some of you I'm sure have heard is that there's a lot of Christians who have had to leave Turkey. So there's a a whole slew of court cases at different levels of the court systems in Turkey, and then others that are going to the European Court of Human Rights. Uh,
1: David, you mentioned uh, other foreigners who have had the same problem and been kicked out or when their visa came up for renewal, the government said, oh, sorry, we're just not going to renew your visa. How many are there? How many foreign Christians in the last, you know, three to five years have had to leave Turkey because of these visa problems or visa restrictions, or like you just getting told,
2: Hey, you have to go. I have not counted, but I think if you look at the individual people who've had cases, there's probably, I'm guessing over 50. When you put it together with their spouses and kids, there's well over 150 or more who have been forced to leave. It may even be more than that. And and the real sort of mean and ugly thing that they've been doing in recent years is what would happen with joy as well is it is it they they have turkish pastors who are doing wonderful ministry and they want to get rid of them well you can't kick them out because they're turkish citizens but they happen to be married to foreigners so what they do is they they declare that their spouses are threats to national security which is just a laughing Matter. I mean, how could this just ridiculous? <laughs> we, I mean, like, they the talk about that considered. with Joy. She, she's <laughs> yeah, a stay at home just... mom. She's a stay at home mom with three kids. And on, on the side, she's a threat to national yeah. security. Yeah. But the thing that's said and I really appreciate that you guys are, are highlighting this issue to the world, is that uh, the Turkish government has been very careful and cautious. Now they've done everything they've done so that not all of it happens at once. It's just one thing here and then another one thing here. And so it's never so much that it sort of really sort of breaks into the international news. But when you look at the last three years, there's a super clear pattern of, of they're trying to rid the country of everyone, which on a very large scale, which should be
1: news. Right. Should should raise to the level of getting people's attention. What has that meant? You mentioned like Joyce's husband is a is a Turkish national pastor. What has that meant to the Turkish church to have all of these foreign Christians and even some Turkish Christians that have had to leave because of these decisions?
2: You would get different answers from different people. I think some would say it's been very hard. It's been incredibly disappointing. It's, it's, it's caused some to be afraid and worried about their own future. You know, once all the foreigners get kicked out of the government, then why would the government not then turn on the, on the local believers too? That might come as well. But I can say that on the other hand, there's there's a lot of good things that have happened where local believers have just stepped in and Turkish church leaders have stepped in and done the things that the foreigners were doing. And so there's sort of beautiful growth and development uh, and sort of passing on the mantle to others in a, in a beautiful way. And a lot of good growth is happening too. And you know, of course, the history of Iran, where the real growth happened after the missionaries got kicked out. So it, it may well be some you know, if, it, if that's going to be what God does in Turkey, so be it. What is your life
1: and, and what does your ministry look like there in Germany? Like, like on, a, on a weekly basis or a daily basis, what are you doing in ministry?
2: Well, we're trying to start a, a team with our mission, Operation Mobilization, here in Berlin to get more people to, to work with us trying to reach Muslims and especially Turkish speakers here in Berlin it's hard in this, in a sense because we don't have a team around us yet as such. We have some volunteer members. And then adjusting to life in Berlin, there's way more bureaucracy and paperwork than there was in Turkey. Uh, that's frustrating. Uh, COVID wasn't easy, you know, being locked in at home and all this stuff. But uh, it's exciting, too, because my relationship with the police in Germany is very different. I mean, <laughs> we, we go out on the streets of Berlin in the, especially in the very Muslim neighborhoods. And we just, you know, set up a tent right on the city plaza, big loudspeakers and, and do a live stream and gospel preaching in Turkish and Arabic and German. And the police come and uh, they, they're usually, you know, of course they're officially not allowed to say that they, that they like something or not, but you can hear from their tone of voice and other things. And like on one day, just a few weeks ago, the policeman came by to see what we were doing. He, I think he didn't really know what we were doing. He was just on duty and he saw all this stuff. He said, what are you doing? Like, well, we're here. It's, it's Easter. We're proclaiming the good news of Jesus risen from the dead. And you see, this, this smile slowly start to come on his face because he used to in this part of the town where we're at. There's usually all sorts of filth and crime and angry, violent demonstrations. And now there's these happy people out in the streets. Doing this. <laughs> and this so, is the more I talked, this smile came on his hands. at the end, he just shook my hand real hard. Says. You know, just, I wish you all the best, all the success. If you have any problem, just give me a call. Wow! <laughs> so it's nice to have a friendly relationship <laughs> with the police here.
1: Uh, are there are there challenges that you face in making that transition from a kind of hostile environment to a more free one?
2: Yeah, it's uh, it has been interesting. It, I mean, on the one hand, in a country like Germany, uh, which prides itself in their freedoms and human rights and freedom of speech. It's actually very easy to publicly proclaim the gospel. So one of the actually shocking things to me is why aren't more Christians going out and using the freedoms they have here in Germany? I mean, we were out on Leopoldplatz on the northern side of Berlin just today with a team of about 25 believers from different churches, different languages. We had a former imam from Syria who's become to a believer. He was just preaching his heart out in Arabic and Kurdish and other things and, and German and and it was just so wonderful. And, I was, and then people came up to us on the street, believers, and they're like, in all my years living here, I've not seen any Christians doing public proclamation here on this very busy street, pl- you know, city plaza. And I'm like, how can that be? I mean, it's, it's super easy to get permission to do this. Why don't we use the freedoms we have? I think that's, that's one of the things I, I, I've noticed. And, and I certainly would say as long as the freedoms are there, I want to use them. As much as I can, and I think we all should. And I think, I think another one, and I don't know how much this is is experienced by believers in the states, but certainly in Europe and especially in the big cities of Europe, there's so many immigrants there. It's no longer a monoculture in Europe, and in Berlin is a is a great example of that I mean, where we were at today. I think I would say ethnic Germans are a minority, and they many times you've got these uh, Christians who've also moved maybe because they fled persecution or other difficulties who've moved to these so-called Christian countries. And they, are, they have their own little churches, but they don't really show up on the radar because they don't have enough money to have their own building. So they'll end up renting space in someone else's in the after, Sunday afternoons. But they are a great untapped resource. And I've seen that here in Berlin. That I almost think that the immigrant churches are stronger spiritually than the, the ethnic German churches here in the city and it may become i think there's probably others around Europe who would agree with me uh, in their own cities and uh, I, I don't know america may not be at that point yet but i would just say god has caused the difficulties around the world to to cause all this migration people's moving here and there which some people see as a threat but it's also a great opportunity these 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 on fire for jesus believers who have now moved to our cities and our countries who can join with us in reaching people
1: amen I think of Richard Wormbrand, the the founder of the Voice of the Martyrs. When a million Russian troops came into Romania, uh, he just thought, "Well, the Lord's bringing the Russian mission field to us, so we don't, we don't have to travel." <laughs> exactly. So, uh, exactly. I I hope that attitude kind of catches on among our listeners yeah. and among American churches. A couple last things, and we always like to equip people to pray. So, so I want to talk yeah. about. You mentioned yeah. somewhere around fifty people who have been expelled from Turkey, their families often included in that, like your family, how do we pray for those families? And, and is, there, is there any sign of that sort of changing or them being allowed to go back? Is,
2: how do we pray for that? Of course, for all those who've been kicked out, there's. I know many of them who are sort of just sort of floating around, not really sure what the next step is. They're waiting for their court cases to play out. That's a very frustrating and agonizing situation to be, especially for some of them who've, again, like us, lived for maybe even decades in Turkey. You could pray for them, that God would just show them what what they should do next. But definitely pray for the church in Turkey and pray for the leaders of the church in Turkey. I remember a couple of weeks ago when the European Court of Human Rights rejected my application and I contacted some of the church leaders in Turkey and their response was, you keep fighting this court case, you know, because they feel like this is an existential battle for for the church there. And they do feel that the government is trying to sort of cut them off from the worldwide church. So that's one way we we need to stand with them in prayer and support and everything and let the church in these countries, especially Turkey, know that just because the foreign Christians are getting kicked out, you are not at all being abandoned. We're standing with you. That's, I think, how we need to pray your ban is
1: so-called permanent from Turkey. Does that mean permanent? I mean, I mean, literally you can never go back or, or is there a sense of, Hey, you could go back on a tourist visa or you could go back for a week or, or you just cannot set foot in Turkey ever again.
2: You know, they never gave me, and the Turkish government is not at all quick to give out written things (laughs) because they don't want to have anything that could be used against them in court. So all I have is a verbal thing from the the policeman at the table there uh, of course then they didn't let me in so i know in, in in effect i certainly was not allowed in they sent me away but you know maybe they've removed it and i could get in but they're not going to tell me or maybe it'll, it'll be a political change where the government will be booted or there'll be a new election and different and then maybe the new government might just sort of throw out all these these politically motivated or whatever Things against foreign Christians, and that would open up the door again to all this stuff is in the future in the Lord's hands. And I don't waste a lot of time worrying about it. I just get on with doing what the Lord has for us now here.
1: And I think that's a good example and a good attitude to have. What are maybe one or two of the things you've learned through this process or that the Lord has really taught you as you've gone through multiple detentions and being interrogated and then being? kicked out of the country and now finding a new place and finding a new ministry to be involved in. What are, you know, maybe the one or two main things that you would say the Lord has really taught you?
2: Oh, wow. That's a big question. <laughs> I think one is that the harvest is plentiful everywhere. I would love to be in Turkey, but there's so much to do here too. And uh, there's so many people who need the Lord who have never, never really heard the gospel, even here in Berlin. And uh, there's plenty to do everywhere, whether I'm in a jail cell or, or on the streets of Istanbul or on the streets of Berlin, God's got work for me and work for all of us. I think the other one is, is knowing God is in control. He works all things together for good. And and somehow he ha- he understands the, the, the reasons for this that I don't yet. So just trusting him. And even already in our time in Berlin, there's been several different things that just sort of make it clear. Uh Aha, so that's why you wanted us here. That's encouraging. The Lord is in control. He allows providentially these things to happen for his good and for the good of his people. And I always say that we can develop good habits and bad habits. And One of the good habits that I've developed through the years is I've seen God step in and and into what look like horrible situations and bring amazing things out of it. That it's sort of become like a habit. I'm expecting him to somehow do the same now in this situation as well.
1: David, thank you so much for sharing your story, giving us an update on and ways that we can pray, not only for your family, but also for the nation of Turkey. And uh, we join you in trusting the Lord that, that he has great plans and great things for you to do in the future, whether it's uh, Germany or Turkey or the United States or, or wherever he places you. Uh, we join you in just believing that that he has great things for you to do.
2: Amen.
0: Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax-deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted.